Um, hey, well, I'm, I'm really excited to be here tonight. Uh, between the flu epidemic and like eight snow days and spring break, uh, I was supposed to do this sometime in February, I think, but, but now we're here, so that's great. Um, yeah, really excited to be here. Glad y'all are here. Uh, I'm sure some of you are thinking, if I knew there was a guest speaker tonight, I would have skipped, but that's okay. I already forgive you, and <laughs> this is going to be great. So uh, just to recap, because it's been a while since RUF has met, this whole semester we've been looking at the Ten Commandments, um, and each week we've been, taking, we've been taking one commandment at a time, and what we've been saying is that so often we assume that the Ten Commandments are here to restrict our joy and our freedom and our happiness. Or we think that the Ten Commandments are just a set of rules, um, and they're here so that we can get God's approval if we do them well enough. But what we've been saying each week is that it's, it's not that at all. It's actually a way, um, it's actually a picture of the beautiful life. And so tonight we're going to look at the Fifth Commandment, but before we do that, I want to revisit a concept uh, from week one, if you were here. We looked at a passage in Luke, uh, where Jesus basically says that the law can be summed up into two phrases. That is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love other people. And the Ten Commandments mirror that concept. The first four commandments, uh, or, or that first tablet, if you will, the first four commandments, which we've covered so far this semester, all have to do with the beautiful life of loving the Lord. And then the next six show us how to love other people. And tonight we're going to look at the fifth commandment, which is the first in that second set of commands. And that's pretty significant because by placing that command there, what Scripture is, is saying is that if you want to know how to love other people, you've got to start with looking at how you honor your parents. The order isn't arbitrary of, of where, the commandments, where the commandments fall. So honoring your parents is really the gateway to a beautiful life of loving others. That's what we're dealing with tonight. J.R. Packer says, you can't say you love other people if you don't honor your parents. So let's pray. Heavenly Father... Um, I thank you for this night, Lord. Thank you for bringing us back to RUF. Um, Father, I pray that uh, you would be here tonight. I pray that you would bring uh, healing to our relationships with our parents. I pray that you would bring redemption tonight. I pray that you would help us to learn what it, what it looks like to follow Jesus uh, when we're trying to figure out how to, how to, um, how to follow this command. Uh, so, Father, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so the scripture we're going to be looking at is from Exodus, from Exodus 20. We're going to do uh, verses 1 and 2 and then skip down to verse 12. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It's the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true, and it's given to you because he loves you. We're going to look at three things tonight. We're going to look at the significance and beauty of this command. We're going to look at what this command requires. And then finally, we're going to look at the beautiful family. So we've got the significance and beauty, what this command requires, and then the beautiful family. And the first thing we're looking at tonight is the significance and beauty of this command because, honestly, I think we need convincing. I think we need convincing that this command is significant and beautiful. I would, guess, I would guess that most of you have heard of this command. Even if you're not familiar with the Bible, I would guess that maybe you've heard of the general rule to honor your parents, and that's a good thing. But the question is, if, if God gives ten commandments to demarcate how the beautiful life is to be lived, how did this one make the cut, so to speak? I think we'd be surprised to find that it's actually one that God places particular importance on, even among the others. 
Okay, so where do we see that? Paul says in Ephesians, and it was read earlier by Carew, that this is the first commandment with a blessing attached, which is interesting. And the blessing is this. Uh, Take a look at the second half of the commandment. first half is, Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. What this does not mean is that if you're good, you'll live a long time. We just have too many examples to the contrary. But rather, that's a, that's a Hebrew phrase that's trying to express the fullness of God's blessing. It's something akin to abundant life and flourishing. And so how does, your, how does honoring your parents lead to an abundant life of flourishing? I think we see a clue in uh, Proverbs 3, which was also read earlier. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And listen to the promise here. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So promises are, are very similar in those two passages. Except in the Proverbs passage, we see that, that wise teaching and instruction is actually what brings the blessing this time. So what we can glean is that parents are meant to give us the kind of life prep that equips us to navigate the complexities of this life. Proverbs, The whole book of Proverbs shows how a wise life is done, um, how an abundant life is lived. And, and Tim Keller says becoming a wise person is like becoming an expert sailor on dangerous waters. Um, I love that imagery. Uh, that's what a wise, wise person is like in this life. We know how complex this life is. And all of Proverbs is teaching you about that wisdom. And all of that teaching stems from a couple places in Proverbs. It's the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. And then this, in this verse that we just read. It's the teaching and instruction that you get from your parents. So, so let's take that concept past just an individual level and move it to a corporate level and ask the question, what if a whole society worked like this? Where children are honoring their parents and learning wisdom from them. The, te- the parents are teaching wisdom and the children are learning these things. And a whole society is working like that and is flourishing and is acting wisely. This is where some of the beauty of this commandment comes in. Because scripture actually assumes that that the family is the building block of a beautiful society. And what what I'm not going to say is that family values and traditional values, if we can return to that, it'll it'll fix everything, whatever whatever that means. Um, That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is that where there's a breakdown of families, there's there's a breakdown of society. That society won't flourish. So, so first, the fifth, the fifth commandment asserts that family life and structure is just as fundamental and important as a command that says don't steal or don't murder. But secondly, I want to, see the, I want to look at the beauty of this command. And I, think it's, I think it's captured in how little choice we have in who our parents are. Your family relationships are the only ones that you have absolutely no say in. We pick our friends. We, we don't hang out with people that are annoying or people that, are, that look too differently from us, or people that don't have the same sense of humor, or no, no sense of humor at all. We just don't spend time with those people. Even, even professors and advisors, if you have a professor that's too tough, or an advisor that's just a pain, you just switch them out. We can, we can construct our social circle in such a way that we're surrounded by people who all look like us, and they're pretty easy to love. So you can actually you can get by on saying, you know what, I think I love my neighbor pretty well, but except for this command. Honoring your, honoring your parents is the real test of whether you love your neighbor because they're your first and most fundamental neighbors and they're not chosen at all. And I want us to, I want us to recognize the beauty of that, but also the difficulty. There are probably, I, I don't know, I can't guess numbers very well, like a hundred of you guys in here or something. And all of you have totally different stories. 
But I would guess that, I would guess you probably fall in two or three different categories when it, when it comes to your relationship with your parents. For one, some of you have great parents. Uh, you admire them and your relationship with them is good. You weren't the rebellious kid in high school. You're still not the rebellious kid. You don't really argue. And if you did argue, it was like this huge ordeal and there was crying involved. And it's, it's like something that you remember as a big life event. There, there, are some of, there are some of you in here. And what you're thinking, I would bet, if you would admit it, is this command doesn't, doesn't really apply to me. I think I'm doing pretty good on this one. Like maybe the other nine are, are convincing. But this one I'm actually doing pretty good. And I would challenge you to stay with me, because this commandment may prove you wrong. But, but for others of you, that, that whole situation is not the case at all. Your relationship with your parents is a little bit more complicated than that. And maybe your parents brought real pain or disappointment. Maybe your parents don't seem honorable. When you heard when you were looking at this, this commandment tonight, your defenses may have gone up. Because you know your parents. And you start to think, if God demands this then he must be able to suck the joy and freedom out of my life. And then others of you, it's just the first time you're out of your parents' house. And you're starting to reflect on your relationship now that you have a little bit of distance. And you're seeing some, some ways that you disagree with your parents. And you're, trying to, you're asking the question, how do I relate to them now? What's changed? What do I do now? Your parents are starting to, to lose some of the luster they may have had in childhood. And it's, as you're growing up, you're starting to see flaws, and that's hard. Because no matter how good your parents are, your, your parents are sinful and they do have flaws. And that's difficult. So what we need to ask is, what is this command talking about? What does this commandment actually require? But before we do that, we need to recognize from the outset, honoring your parents is extremely important in the Lord's eyes. It made the cut. It didn't just make the cut, but it's the gateway to loving other people. It's the first and the second set of commands. And it also leads to flourishing. Your parents are how you get wisdom, conventionally, to be able to live a wise life in this chaotic world. And that can lead to a stable and loving society if an entire society is working like that. And also, this, com- this command is the litmus test for how you are loving other people. So we see how important this command is, and we also see how beautiful this command. So seeing those two things, how do we honor our parents? Let's ask the question, what, what does this commandment require? And the first thing we've got to look at to start with is... The key word in this, which is honor. What does that, what's that word actually mean? I want us to notice how nuanced the Bible is here. It does not say obey. Now, we read a scripture earlier from Ephesians that says, children obey. But look how nuanced it is there. It says, children obey your parents. And the commandment also doesn't say, love your parents. And of course, that's the ideal. We want to love our parents. We want to have a good relationship with them. But the commandment says, honor. And honor is a Hebrew word that means to add weight to. So honoring your parents means giving the proper weightiness to the position God has given them. Honoring your parents is giving the proper weightiness to the position that God has given them. So what we have to recognize here is that no authority is given without God's hand. Your parents are parents because because God has given them that authority. We have to honor the authority that, that, that God has dealt out. So what's this kind of look like? I think it looks like respect. I think it looks like being attentive to your parents. And I think it, a big one is giving the proper weight and value to their opinions. And we'll kind of look at that later. But what's the flip side? What's the flip side of honor? Let's simply be dishonor. And if honor is giving weight to, then dishonor is treating lightly. What does that look like? I think that looks like disregarding your parents or just indifference. 
And I want us to see that giving weight to authorities is something that we automatically do. So take this scenario. Let's assume that you're an expert piano player, and you want to be the best classical piano player that has ever lived. And so you practice like 10 hours a day all the time. And so let's say you're practicing one day uh, in the chapel or in a music room around Mississippi State. Uh, and you're just playing your heart out. You've been playing for a few hours. And then a kindergartner walks in, and she says, hey, I noticed you play on the piano. Um, I, I just started piano lessons this week. I've had a couple. Uh, and my teacher said you have to have really good posture when you play the piano. And I noticed that, that you kind of slouch when you play. And honestly, I don't think you're ever going to be that good of a piano player unless you fix your posture. Uh, what's your response going to be? You're, you're going to say, get out of here, kid. <laughs> like, I'm trying to practice here. You've taken two piano lessons. I've been doing this my entire life. But take a different scenario. Let's say you're playing, and then the top professor from Juilliard walks in, and he starts listening to you for a couple minutes, and he says, listen, hey, you're an, you're an awesome piano player, but I've been watching your technique, and I think if you tweak this, it'll bounce you to the next level. I think you'll take off. That's what, that situation is completely different because you'll be hanging off of every single word that that guy says. And every time you play the piano for the next like five years, you're going to be thinking about what he said and trying to fix it. And the reason is, you recognize the authority that that guy has. You recognize that the kindergartner doesn't have authority, and so you give, you give the kindergartner no weight. But the professor absolutely has authority in this situation. And so you give incredible weight to that person. We do this all over the place. We honor and give weight to the authorities that we recognize. So the key to this commandment, I would argue, is do you recognize your parents' authority? A college is a really weird time. Uh, you guys are partially dependent on your parents and partially independent. You're out of their house. So what I want us to ask ourselves is, what does it look like in a practical kind of way to recognize our parents' authority and honor them in college? So let's start with honoring them with speech. How do you speak about your parents to other people? All right, so paint this scenario. If you were to ask one of your friends what they knew about your parents, only by the way that you've described them, let's say they haven't met your parents, they only know by what you've described them, what would they say about your parents? I think, honestly, uh, our friends would only be able to name flaws a lot of the time, like how out of touch they are or whatever. And that's because of how we speak about them. Parents can be reduced uh, to being the butt of jokes so often. Uh, there, there's a saying that it's incredible how much, how much smarter your parents get once you leave the house and once you grow up. Because <laughs> you start to realize that they actually know stuff. <laughs> um, but let's think, let's think past speech. And let's look at what honoring your parents and decision making would look like. And I think this is a big one. Because the amount of decisions that you guys have to make in this time of life, and I'll, I'll lump myself in there, is incredible. You've got to figure out who you're supposed to marry or date in the dating game or whatever. Uh, what job are you supposed to do for the rest of your life? Somebody's asking you that four times a day, probably. Um, who's, who, who you, yeah, what, what major are you supposed to take? Should you switch your major? How many years do you graduate in? All these huge questions, all these big decisions are rolling around in your life. And the question is, you're out of the house, but ro- what role are your parents supposed to play now that you are independent? I think there's two ways to fall off the horse in this, in this kind of thinking about how to handle honoring your parents in decision-making. The first is obvious. I think the first is just giving them no weight. It, that means not asking their opinion at all about these decisions. Or when you do have their opinion, just automatically dismissing what they say. Or there's the opposite of dishonoring. 
And that looks like total and complete dependence on your parents. Now that you've left the home, some of you need to consider the fact that honoring your parents actually means starting to establish independence. Because the point of raising children, your, your parents' vocation, is raising children into fully functioning adults. So I would guess that some of you go to your parents with every decision, and you do what they say every single time. And we've got to see that total dependence isn't the kind of honor that the fifth commandment is talking about. That's not what it requires. We have to honor their vocation of raising you into an adult. So what does honoring our parents look like in decision-making? It has to look like some kind of middle road. And I would argue that true honor comes when, after you leave the house, you're establishing your own independence and yet still giving the parents, giving your parents the weight that, they, that their God-given authority deserves. So give weight to their opinions. Seek them out when you have a big question. Actually ask them. And when you have their opinions, consider it. Kind of mull over those decisions. I think, that, I think that's what honor looks like. So in this strange transition time of college years, we have to honor our parents with our speech. And we have to honor with our, by giving proper weight uh, when we ask them in our decision making. And lastly, I want to visit a third area that I think is really important. And it has to do with forgiveness. Like I said earlier, something, something you begin to realize in college is that your parents are sinners. Even the very, very best parents are sinners. And they've fallen short in some way. And I think the reactions to this realization are different. Some of you, some of you are trying to do everything different from your parents just for the sake of doing it differently. So you're choosing a career path that's the polar opposite. Or you're trying to make friends that look totally different from your parents' group of friends. Or you're trying to have a worldview that's utterly different from your parents. But look and, and ask the question, what is it that's still controlling you? You're not autonomous. It's your parents that are still controlling you. They still have the con- control over the way you make decisions. But then for some of you, some of you have had significant wrong done to you. Maybe your parents were selfish with their time or, or weren't present. Maybe you had short-tempered parents or unloving. Man, even abusive physically or verbally. And Scripture does not minimize that because Scripture says that God is a father to the fatherless. But do you find it impossible to forgive? If bitterness is what colors your entire relationship with your parents, I think it reveals something. I think it means you're not free from them. They still control you in some way. A common theme in Scripture is that sin always promises freedom, but it never delivers on that promise. So the question is, how can we begin to honor our parents? How can we begin to honor our real parents? Not the ones we wish we had, but the ones that God has given us. The ones we've had from day one. Lastly, I want to look at the beautiful family. Because to get our answer to that question, we have to point our gaze back to God. The Lord. Who interestingly uses the title Father for himself. I think that's telling. Because no matter who your parents are, they have colored your impression of how you see God. You hear that God is a father, and you start to think of your father, and you think of your parents. And I would argue that how you see God determines if you're able to honor your earthly parents. We desperately need to see the God of the Bible. Everybody does. If in your mind God is stiff and cold and always tired of your rule-breaking and right on the brink of of just punishing you and giving up on you, I would argue that it's going to be impossible to forgive your parents and forgive any wrong that was done to you. And you'll have no freedom from any bitterness that might exist. 
Because what you need in order to forgive the sin you see in your parents is a soft heart. And to get a soft heart, you have to experience the life-transforming love of God your Father. Or maybe, or maybe you have the opposite situation, and maybe God is kind of uninvolved, sort of a, like a milk-toast, just kind of sleepy, grandfatherly figure. And if you see him as that, I would argue that you won't be free from the need to have your parents' security. Because that God doesn't know our mess, and he can't get involved in it. He can't handle it. So we run to something else for our security, and that could be your parents'. What we need is to see the real God of Scripture, the robust God that is painted in Scripture. And that's best seen in Jesus, who is here on earth in the flesh. The beginning of Mark's Gospel, we see the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River. And listen to these words. It's it's from the beginning of Mark. And when he came up out of the water, that's Jesus, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. So God, the Lord of the universe, says that Jesus is his son. Says that he loves him. Says that he's proud of him. Why? It's because Jesus is God's true son. They've been together from eternity past. And because God the Father is proud of Jesus and does love him. Because Jesus has earned the approval of the Father perfectly. Throughout his whole life on earth, Jesus demonstrated perfect obedience. And that included honoring his earthly parents, which that would have been seriously frustrating. And we have, a, we have a couple examples of how frustrating that might have been. But I want us to skip ahead past Jesus' baptism a few years. I want us to skip ahead to the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because this, for the first time, is a place where obeying the Father will bring Jesus utter agony. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus' crucifixion, his anguish becomes unbearable. He's sweating great drops like blood and, and begging for a way out and praying to the Father, if there's any way that I don't have to do this, please. Up until now, there's been ultimate and infinite joy and love and relationship between Christ and between the Father. There's never been one moment where they have not had perfect connection with each other. But now Christ is facing total separation from the Father. Infinite pleasure that he has always had is turning into infinite wrath and displeasure. And just imagine, imagine how heartbreaking this would have been, living wholly for the Father your entire life and now being cast out and feeling wrath. Jonathan Edwards says about the Garden of Gethsemane, God brought him, that is Jesus, and set him before the mouth of the furnace that he might look in and stand and view its fierce and raging flames and might see where he was going and might voluntarily enter into it and bear it for us knowing what it was. What made Jesus go through with this? It's so he can have us. It's so he can bring us into his family. And on the cross, Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he doesn't use the title Father. But why is that? It's because he's been cast out of the family so that we can come into that family. Man, some of you have grown up dying to hear that your parents love you and that they're proud of you. And if that's you, I invite you to look at Jesus tonight, who is the perfect substitute. Because he lost the total approval and delight of the Father, so that we, the unlovely, can come in. And not only can we come in, we're actually called good and faithful servants. And the Father is proud of us. And it's with us now that the Father says, with you I'm well pleased. But let that approval sink in. 
You'll never be able to stop putting all your security in your parents until you finally experience the eternal security of being in relationship with Jesus Christ. Having the approval of the Heavenly Father means you've got security no matter what. And having unshakable security means you'll be able to establish independence and make your own decisions because you know you're safe and nothing can ultimately destroy you because you're hidden in Him. If Jesus is your advocate and He's sealed you, then you're sealed and you're okay. And secondly, you'll be able to forgive. Understanding the forgiveness purchased for you will change everything around. Work that into your heart. You'll finally be able to forgive other people understanding how much you have been forgiven. And I'm, I'm not minimizing the difficulty of forgiving, especially some serious wrong. But let Jesus walk with you in this process. You'll, you can finally be free from the bitterness you have. And it frees you to listen to your parents' counsel and give them weight in your decisions. If you've been hurt, you can finally stop being controlled by what was done. We said earlier that we project, we project our parents, our own earthly parents, onto our picture of God. And no parent is perfect. So get your picture of God from Scripture. Because this is who He is. Look at His love for you. He delights in you. He would do anything for you. And you know what? He has. Jesus thought you were worth dying for and is now living again. And he's at the right hand of God advocating for us. So be a part of this family. Be sons and daughters of the perfect parent. He will never grow tired of you and give up on you. And you don't have to clean yourself up before you come. Because he already knows you. He knows, he knows you, the exact you, to the bottom and he will give you perfect instruction in life. Come be a part of this family, and you will, you will never be left an orphan. Let's pray. Father God, um, thank you so much for your son. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. Um, thank you for his perfect life, and that because, uh, because of his sacrifice and because of his death, um, we can now come into the family. We can now... We can now be children of the perfect parent. So, Father, I pray that you would melt our hearts. Lord, I pray that, uh, I pray that if, uh, if there's anyone in here that, that does not know Jesus, Lord, I pray, that, I pray that you'd show them the beauty of who he is. I pray that you would bring us in so that we can finally begin to turn around and honor our earthly parents. I pray that you would bring healing. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.